Just a few months into his third term as mayor of Canada's largest city, John Tory announced his resignation on Friday. The resignation follows revelations he had an affair with a 31-year-old staffer and forces the city to hold a by-election in the coming months. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. National Post columnist Chris Selly joins the show to discuss how the revelations came to light, what it does to Tory's legacy in politics and business, and what issues his replacement will have to deal with. Don't forget, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about the show. So, Chris, on Friday, we had news break late in the evening Toronto time that Toronto's mayor, John Tory, would be stepping down due to an inappropriate relationship. Now, for those who haven't been following the story over the weekend, just what was the nature of this relationship and how did this news all come to light? Well, the news came to light with a just the Toronto Star dropped a, a bomb late on a Friday afternoon, uh, saying that uh, Tory had had a an, an affair with a 31 year old staffer uh, who was no longer with his office. Uh, this is someone who traveled uh, with him quite a bit on on sort of uh, foreign junkets and things like that. Uh, an advisor, I believe, was her official title. And then uh, suddenly we had news of an 8.30 p.m. press conference. And I, no one really, I don't think, expected him to step down. But on the other hand, why hold a press conference at 8.30 on a Friday night if you're not going to step down? And that's just what he did. He resigned, apologized, and off he went. Um, he's still officially mayor. Uh, and that'll be, that's kind of, there's some interesting machinations to go there. But uh, that's where we are for now, just a few weeks into his a few months into his third term, he's, uh, he's out the door. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a brief press conference from, from Mayor Tory. He didn't take any questions from reporters in the room. He just kind of, he, he read his statement and then walked out. Why did he say he was stepping down and what did he have to say about this indiscretion? Well, he said it was a terrible, uh, lack of judgment. He apologized to the people of Toronto. I believe he apologized to his family. I'm not sure if he apologized to his wife specifically, but it was kind of weird. I mean, why have a press conference if you're not going to take questions? He had already given a statement through his lawyer to the star that was in the original story. He could have just given them another statement with with the same information. But yeah, it, it was kind of a strange spectacle. Uh, he apologized. He never really said anything, to my mind, that kind of justified, especially because I wasn't expecting him to resign when I first read the story. I was surprised that he didn't kind of say anything that offered further justification. I guess that's not what you do when you're a politician <laughs> giving you a swan song. You don't want to make yourself sound bad. But <clears throat> it, I think a lot of people at the end of it were just thinking, well, wait, well, hang on. You're resigning. Why? Uh, is this really the end of the world not, nowadays? An affair with a, you know, we won't think if we're talking about a 20-year-old maybe, but a 31-year-old staffer. I, I think a lot of people were looking at that and thinking consenting adults. Mm-hmm. I, I know that there's been talk about the the nature of the power dynamic between the mayor and an advisor and the age gap. And it, it puts John Tory in a position of power over this person. But I've seen other people who are saying that, as you just said, the, these are consenting adults. And yes, perhaps it wasn't exactly appropriate in terms of, of city policy, but in terms of politicians and how they go there there are many other politicians who have done much worse and have stuck around in office like why do you think he needed to step down or do you think he needed to step down 
I don't think he needed to step down. Like, I don't know, there was a strange line in the star's original story. It sort of said, like, this will, you know, this will throw City Hall into turmoil days to go before a key budget vote. And I, and I sort of thought, well, but why? Why? What, what? Like, you know, City Hall was already pretty much in turmoil over this year's budget. I don't understand really why. Like, I don't think it's not like city councilors were going to be hurling questions at him about it on the floor of council. You know, I suppose reporters would have been asking him about it. But. You know, he, all he has to do is, I, I don't even think they would have, frankly. I mean, it is what it is. I'm sure everyone's digging that, you know, everyone's digging now to try and find if there's more to this. Um, but no, I don't think he had to resign. Um, I think he would have been in pretty much the same position, you know, today uh, if he hadn't. I mean, I, you know, probably the most logical answer is that he wants to focus on, as he said, focus on making amends with his family, focus on making amends with his wife. He's been married for 44 years. You know, this is a pr- it's a pretty crap job when you come right down to it, Mayor of Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would rather have a I would rather be I would rather save my marriage if uh, with the woman I love and have a happy retirement at sixty eight than uh, slog through this mess. So I don't that's my best guess, but uh, who knows? Unless there's another shoe to drop, it's I guess I might say an honorable decision having done a, a dishonorable thing. Now, as you just mentioned, this news comes just four months after Tory was reelected to a third term. And so I imagine this leaves some unfinished business in terms of his agenda. Like what, what kind of things were, did John Tory campaign on that he wanted to get done in a third term? Because as I understand, he originally said he was only going to serve two terms as mayor before deciding to run for a third term. What was it that he still had left to do and what happens to some of those initiatives? He he kept saying, you know, that he wanted to Wanted to stay the course. He needed a third term to make sure that nothing got derailed in terms of transit and housing. Those are the two big things he would mention. I mean, there's nothing really at risk here in terms of his transit agenda or his housing agenda. I mean, we're going to relitigate the Gardner Expressway, this stupid piece of very expensive infrastructure that, but that has just taken on this ludicrously outsized uh, importance in the city's politics. Like it just does not matter for the future of the city, whether we build this thing or we don't build this thing. And so that'll get cracked open, but that was never a central part of his agenda. He really just came in and kind of found a a compromise position on council, uh, about that. So uh, housing, I mean, the only thing I think that's likely to happen on the housing agenda is that a new mayor will be more ambitious than he was. And that might actually worry him. You know, he, he's, he's, uh, he is the ultimate Ontario progressive conservative. He doesn't do things in increments and he doesn't do things slowly because he thinks because he thinks it's not possible to go fast. He thinks it's a good thing to go slowly. And there's a lot of wisdom to that, I, I think, especially in Toronto, where when we when Toronto gets sort of flighty and uh, gets its eyes on big things, bad things can happen. So I, I don't really think he has much. Like It really doesn't change much that, that he leaves, which doesn't speak very highly uh, of his legacy, I, I suppose. I mean, looking at that, you know, you have you have a guy who not just involved in municipal politics, but involved in the business community, involved in provincial politics to some degree. He's been around in kind of the elite circles in Toronto and Ontario for quite a long time. What is his legacy what what ultimately will people look back on and remember about john tory the public figure well as you say i think they'll they'll see him as the living embodiment of what you just described this this sort of nexus of the legal world and the broadcasting world and and the just the ultimate 
fine old Ontario family elite family compact. You know, this is a guy who actually took a hundred thousand dollar salary for the Rogers family trust to serve as the family sort of in-house shrink <laughs> when, when they're having board meetings, which is, which is one of the most, which is one of the craziest decisions I've seen a, a politician make in recent times, completely unlike him uh, in other respects. But you could, but in a way, like you could almost see how he wouldn't understand uh, why this was a problem. This is Rogers. Like we, we have to make sure that Rogers is 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 healthy. So I think people will see him just as as the ultimate embodiment of kind of old Toronto in a way. Not that he didn't do some some good valuable things, but for eight years, not really a, a whole lot of that. And I think what'll be interesting is to see if we if we get. I mean, even Rob Ford, right, as as total outsider as he was, the Ford family is is, a, is an Ontario insider family. They're very, very different than the Tories, but they're just as connected in kind of the same way. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if we get a mayor who's sort of not of that milieu, someone who, who, who is sort of more from a newer Toronto and, and what that might what that might look like. I, I think that'll depend a lot. I think the Tories legacy will depend a lot on whether someone else can come along afterwards and kind of light a fire under things and make things go significantly faster because there's a lot of structural things at city hall that stand in the way of doing big things quickly no matter who the mayor is and no matter how ambitious he is we'll be right back now one thing i'm curious about john tory is is his popularity or the perception that he has been a popular mayor. I know that the 2014 election was kind of hotly contested in the wake of the Rob Ford era and his departure from the mayor's office. And so you had like kind of a narrow victory for Tory over, over now premier Doug Ford and Olivia Chow. But in his subsequent reelections, he was taking nearly two thirds or roughly two thirds of, of the vote in Toronto. Was he, just, you know, the, the guy that voters knew and we feel comfortable with him and so we'll vote for him again, but we, it's not like we like him a, a ton. Is, is, was he that kind of mayor or was he kind of the kind of mayor that people actually kind of liked and got behind and were really excited about? I think there was a little of, of the, he's a likable guy. So I think there's, there's some of that for sure. Uh, a lot of the, he's just the guy that he he's there. And so we're going to vote for him because there's no one else on offer. And there was not anyone else on offer. I mean, the only serious candidate halfway serious candidate he ever faced was in 2018 and Jennifer Kiesman, who really only signed up at the last minute after Doug Ford cut city council in half in the middle of the election. So it was just this big mess. And the NDP came in and ran her campaign into the ground. And it was just like, he's never faced any opposition. But then the third group I would say is, the vast majority of the city that just doesn't give a crap one way or the other. I mean, the it, turnout was 29% in the most recent mayoral election. So they just don't see, I, I suppose they just don't see either their biggest problems or their biggest solutions lying at city hall. And they're probably right in, in that respect. Now, as you mentioned, kind of off the top, the city is dealing with, uh, I assume a contentious budget. You mentioned the star had, had put a line in about how this could throw turmoil into budget discussions Aside from the budget, are there any other issues that Tory's successor and city council will have to address and, and how the tone could change under a different mayor? Well, I think transit and housing are the two biggest issues, period. 
housing probably bigger. Tory had just implemented a, a fairly, fairly ambitious by Toronto standards kind of rezoning package that should densify some neighborhoods a little bit and add a considerable amount of housing uh, to the city over the next few years. I think the only thing you'll want, you'll see there is potentially people want to speed that up, uh, that a new council might want to get more ambitious. But again, they're going to face the same forces. You know, the mayor is just one vote on council, even the stronger mayor, uh, unless he wants to use, because the mayor of Toronto has some new powers now, so he can use the uh, veto power in certain situations. But unless they wanted to start doing that, which basically every candidate for mayor so far has sworn against, I don't see things really changing that much. Like this happens every time there's a, there's a new, there's a chance for Toronto to elect a new mayor, especially on the progressive side of the spectrum. Everyone just gets so excited because who, you know, we need someone who can inspire us and who can, you know, affect all these changes. Well, there's still just one vote on council and it's this, you know, the, the same people who have always been the force behind individual councillors tend to be single family homeowners that's still who kind of holds the sway especially if only 29 percent of people are going to come out to vote <laughs> so I, I i think that's that will be interesting in the election to see if there's someone who can galvanize i don't know a slate of candidates maybe um but it's far from an ideal time to do it because you're going to do it in in an emergency way at a time you weren't planning for. So it's it's a mess. Yeah. And as we all know, by-elections in any level of government tend to have lower voter turnout than than general elections do. So <laughs> that's right. And it's, it's not, yeah, people aren't more angry now than they were four months ago. Like, I think they're basically in the same same space as they were uh, four months ago. Or if, or if anything, they're less... They're less freaked out because inflation isn't quite as bad and and things like that. So it'll have to be. I don't see a candidate on the horizon who could who could sort of galvanize the electorate in that way and maybe gather a slate of candidates around them and say, hey, we're going to do something you know, really, really different. I don't see that happening, but I live in hope. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned transit and housing as, as kind of big issues in Toronto right now. I'm wondering, and I know we saw this in Vancouver where crime and social disorder became a big issue in that city's municipal election when in the past it perhaps hadn't been as as big an issue. Given what we've seen in Toronto recently with kind of random attacks on the transit system, could that change the tone or the tenor of the campaign if you have a candidate kind of looking at making that a big issue? Could that affect the race? I think it definitely could. That's a good point. I think if you get a sort of traditional conservative in the race, even if even if they're not a, a huge name who is saying, look, we need to, you know, we need to really invest more money in policing. Uh, we need more police on the streets. We need more police in the subways, things like that. And that's already happened to, to some extent under Tory in in this budget that's before us recently. Now, for all we know, the the, the city council uh, will change it. Although I don't know why they would now, just because the mayor's not there. Yes, that that could definitely be an interesting dynamic. And and more so, what I'm picturing is, you know, you could have a, a marginal conservative candidate who would try to make an issue out of this and then progressive candidates would lose their minds about it because they're they're you know still in sort of this defund the police mode or some of them are which is just you know of course you don't want to defund the police you want police there when these random attacks happen um and yet there aren't really any like easy solutions to those problems at all right you can you can put as many police as you want on the street the chances that one of them is going to be standing there in time to stop a random attack are 
very low. So yeah, that that is definitely could be a, a, an interesting slash ugly issue depending on who ends up in the race because it's very difficult. You know, it's easy on Twitter to say more police won't help the problem. It's a lot harder in real life uh, to tell people that more police won't help the problem because I think when people see police, um, not all people by any means, but uh, a significant number of people just feel more uh, feel safe, feel safer when they see police around. So that's, yeah, that's, that could definitely be um, an issue because it is crazy that the number of random attacks that's happened uh, in recent weeks thing. I mean, it was one a day for a while and thankfully it's not doing that anymore, but uh, yeah, that's, that could be an issue for sure. Are there any people who have declared at least an interest in running to replace Tory at this point, any kind of big names that you might have anticipated would show interest in the race? The only name that I'm aware of who said for sure they're in is uh, Gil Penalosa, who was the runner-up, distant, distant, distant runner-up four months ago. He's a, a very strange bird, um, n- not personally, but in terms of his, his stance. He's a progressive, but, but he has some very odd stances. Like He doesn't like tall buildings, and he doesn't like streetcars. And Toronto progresses these days are all about building, building, building housing, and they love streetcars. So <laughs> it's uh, kind of an odd fit. Um, there's some other names floating around. Josh Cole is a former city councilor. He, he, he's not, he's sort of a straight down the middle Tory type, I would have said, but I think he, he could be a sort of a compromise candidate. Uh, some some people we thought would potentially run keys mad is one and then um joe cressy who's another city councillor sort of a, a, a arch progressive but also kind of a jack layton type in the sense that he's happy to reach across the, the aisle to uh, to make deals and, and get things done uh, have ruled out so uh, yeah there isn't a stampede to the uh, registration desk yet and there might not be because as i say it's a crap job <laughs> yeah now, you mentioned that, you know, as of right now, John Tory is still mayor and there's some machinations that still have to take place. What is the process? I, I assume that like an election commissioner has to actually call a by-election, set up some terms. Like when might we hear more about the process to replace Tory? In the next couple of weeks, I believe, Jennifer McKelvey, who's a deputy mayor, is is set to become, you know, acting mayor as soon as story stops being mayor i confess i'm not actually sure exactly at what moment that happens he's still mayor right now he was at work on saturday i'm not sure exactly uh when that happens it would certainly be <laughs> if it's not before wednesday i guess he could conceivably try to sit in city council for uh the budget discussion but that would be bananas I think after all this, surely he has to bow out at this point. But no, I, I'm not. I'm not 100% sure when that happens. I mean, I I believe there does have to be a by-election. Like, there's no way that McAlvey could try to serve out the term. And even if she could, I think that would just be a crazy thing to try to do. Uh, but I believe that in the next couple of weeks, we'll we'll see exactly how that's going to play out. Well, we'll be watching closely to see how that rolls out and who might step in to replace John Tory as mayor of Toronto. Chris, thanks for your time. Thank you. On Monday, John Tory's office released a statement confirming he'll attend Wednesday's budget meeting. Further details on the transition will be announced following that meeting. 10-3 is produced by Tyler Dawson, theme music by Bryce Hall. 
Thanks to my guest, Chris Selly. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.